horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, thanks again for joining us here on Winning Ponies. Uh, been a uh, pretty uh, busy week, I must say, as far as the racing world is concerned. And as always, we love to be uh, encased by controversy. We don't love it, but it's thrust upon us. And it was uh, the big story out in the New York Times uh, kind of scaring everybody, going, justify uh, bad tests, uh, shouldn't have been in the Triple Crown. And to Joe Sixpack at home, they're like, oh, no, here we go. We got just what we need, another race-fixing trouble in North America. It's the end of racing as we know it. Uh, and so being kind of the racing guy in my neighborhood, you know, people are always like, hey, John. What's going on with Justify, you know? Uh, are they going to take away his triple crown? Uh, what's going on? I'm like, well, did you read the next day's story? And they're like, no, no, I, I, I didn't see a follow-up story. Oh, oh, because maybe that vilified Bob Baffert and the people associated with Justify. See, they only get the bad news it's the way the media works particularly right now in horse racing so i'm going to try to do my damnedest to bring you the good stories the upside stories of what's going on and that's why i love interviewing authors and behind the scenes people uh people that are really uh you know involved in the game and love the game and uh have a reason to uh perpetuate it and to continue their lives involvement in it. it it's so hard work but it's something you fall in love with so that was my favorite comeback all week long was hey did you read what they wrote about the next day that's right crickets no no, no i didn't read about the next day well the next day you got to read Bob Baffert's side of the story, and you got to read a little bit more about the California Horse Racing Board and why they backed off a little bit. Um, what you've got to understand, and I'm probably ruining it again, as I told you last week, uh, scopolamine, which is the active ingredient in Jimson weed, uh, it gets in and contaminates the hay and straw in California. That's not a secret. But that didn't really come out in the New York Times story, did it? No, I don't think it did, John. I just read Justify. Should he have won the Triple Crown? He never should have been in the race. But what you've got to understand is the Racing Commission has been more than willing to allow for environmental contamination. And uh, so it was them that skipped uh, the, the usual investigation, because I believe there were other horses that also tested for it, because it does grow wild in California, and it can get in the hay and straw. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, do your homework on the uh, inert ingredients 
in scopolamine because I believe, if anything, it would slow a horse down. Why would you give it to your horse if you're trying to win the Santa Anita Derby if it's going to slow you down? Oh, very frustrated. But, you know, again, if you're one of those people and people uh, figure, hey, you're you're the racing person. I'll ask you about uh, uh, the Justify story. Ask them what they read the second day, and they'll all just give you a blank look. It's like, well, no, we only read the bad news. We didn't realize that it wasn't the trainer trying to duck anything. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, all three Triple Crown races Justify tested totally clean and you got to bet that they really look at you in a triple crown race so enough said about that our second guest is frank angst from the blood horse and he wrote a uh, a three-page article on the incident shall we call it and so we're going to get to talk to frank uh, about the whole uh, justify situation and get it straight from the horse rider's mouth okay while I got Frank, I'm going to make him do a little handicapping because this is the big day for parks. Uh, we've got $2 million races. Uh, the Pennsylvania Derby, uh, who has brought in a new group of players because guess who's not going to be in the field? And that is the horse that was going to be favored. The horse that won the Haskell Invitational that finished first in the Kentucky Derby was, was disqualified and placed 17th. None other than maximum security. Sad to say, he is going to be out of the race due to colic, which is nothing to uh, sneeze at. So uh, it was a uh, another word I'll uh, probably ruin, a, a large colon nephrosplenic entrapment that developed shortly after return from a workout just this Monday. And uh, they found that it had developed. He was rushed to the Mid-Atlantic Equine Clinic in Rincos, New Jersey. And the diagnosis was made by one of the veterinarians there. And uh, basically what they say is the the, uh, nephrosplenic ligament connects to the left kidney to the spleen of the horse. And uh, so he went uh, through a severe, acute bout of colic, maximum security. His colon was displaced, uh, and uh, they say the horse is going to be recovered in a short period of time, but they're talking about a couple of weeks, and it'll be fine, and then you got to get him fit again and wind him up again, and uh, they say as far as his career goes, there's zero long-term ramifications uh, from what he just went through. So, uh, fingers crossed, let's hope he comes back healthy, but uh, they just don't know if uh, he's going to be able to giddy up and go. Of course, you'd want to prep before the Breeders' Cup, if that is your goal, as it is most three-year-olds and great older horses uh, this time of year. And uh, so, we'll find out, but Maximum Security is out. We'll talk to Frank Angst about that, and uh, who does he like? How about Mr. Money going for his fifth straight graded stakes win? He's stepping up a little bit. This is a grade one, and it's a million dollars. Favoritism now will probably go to Bob Baffert's Improbable. Money Mike Smith into ride. Let's not forget a nice horse by the name of War Will that won the Preakness Stakes earlier this year. And then the Cotillion. Man, did this bring together some nice three-year-old fillies. And it looks like it could be a rematch between Serengeti Empress and the undefeated Garana. Uh, they met in the Test Stakes and... Uh, I'm sorry, the Acorn Stakes, 
and it was Garana who pulled away to win by sixth, uh, went off the slight favorite and only her second lifetime start. Since then, she's won the coaching club American Oaks and surrogate Empress just missed by a half a length to Kofevi, uh, who will race this weekend down at Churchill. So those are the big races uh, from uh, Parks. If time allows, we'll get to the grade two gallant Bob. All right. Well, uh, the races we looked at last week had some interesting outcomes. Let's take a look at them right now. Up in Canada, the Bold Venture. Now, the Bold Venture was the biggest upset of the career of Pink Lloyd, who went into the race with 21 wins from 26 starts. Well, Pink Lloyd, uh, who ended up finishing, I believe, fourth, uh, was declared a non-starter. He was a three to five morning line pick. So favoritism went to Yorkton. Now, Yorkton is the horse that beat him in this race last year when he finished fifth. What Pink Lloyd was declared a non-starter because when the gates opened, he broke through the gate. But it wasn't one of those things where uh, the gate guy caught him in time, the assistant starter. And so he was declared a non-starter. And the win went to, for the second year in a row, Yorkton, uh, who uh, just... Uh, beat out uh, Icaron Road and Curlin's Honor. Uh, then in the Canadian, this race, quarter million dollars, grade two, the winner number six, Starship Jubilee, the horse I liked went wire to wire. I like this horse because I'm very familiar with his sire. He just stands down the road at Poplar Creek Horse Center in Bethel, Ohio. Starship Jubilee now uh goes past the $800,000 mark and, again, takes the Canadian presented by the Japan Racing Association. Uh, second spot was Magnetic Charm. And third, the favorite, Competition of Ideas. Then we went on to a million-dollar race, the Woodbine Mile Historic Race. The winner, number one, El Tormenta, could be the last ride of Eurico da Silva, 44 to 1. Are you kidding me? And it was a Canadian bred, and this race was open to anybody. It wasn't a restricted race. Got the job done, just uh, slipped up through the rail. Uh, he waved the whip after it was crazy. He's known as one of the greatest riders in Canada of all time. And they, he's saying that he was going to hang it up. Uh, who knows? But anyhow, win and you're in for the mile in the Breeders' Cup for El Tormenta, who bested. Three to two shot got stormy in that million dollar race. Also at Woodbine, the Northern Dancer Turf, and the winner in there shipping in from all over the place. Last start was at Europe, raced in England, uh, raced uh, it at uh, Maidan. It was Old Persian Charles Appley. Uh, with uh, James Doyle in the saddle. Old Persian, the British bred, bet down the favorite, gets the job done in the Northern Dancer turf. And then, uh, let's see, at Churchill Downs, uh, we had uh, the uh, Locust Grove. I liked My Lady Curlin, even money favorite, finished third, story of my life. But uh, Brian Hernandez, who's been a guest on this show many times, go Google yourself, paid 980 held on to... 
win by a neck. It was on top by two and a half, but came charging late was Moonlit Garden. Again, My Lady Curlin was third. And then we went on to the youngsters, Shades of Next Year's Derby and Oaks. It was the ladies first, and the winner was Lazy Daisy, who had the lead in the stretch, got it taken away by his glory for a brief lead. Lazy Daisy fought back, got the job done for trainer Doug O'Neill, who shipped in from the West Coast, his glory second, and in the third spot, the favorite was Portrait, and then it was the boys' version, could be Derby, getting Derby points, 10, I do believe, and it was Dennis's moment, the horse we said was the one to beat and was the one to beat, odds-on favorite, won by a length and three-quarter, but that was not the story, he could have won by 10 lengths if he wanted to, I read Ortiz wrapping up through the final 16th, in for the second spot was Scabbard at 8-1, to one. and finishing in the photo for third, it was Lebda at 25-1. to one. All right, that's a look at national news, my opinion on the Justify situation, and a look at the races we handicapped last week. Spent a good portion of the week reading a fine book on an outstanding horse, Spectacular Bid. Right after this break, we're going to be talking to author Peter Lee. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds, incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. 
All right. Well, the uh, city of Atlanta isn't known as a hotbed of uh, turf writers, but Peter Lee uh, is an author who's writing out of Atlanta and uh, writes about uh, one of history's greatest horses that uh, doesn't really, in my opinion, get the credit that he deserves. His name is Peter Lee. Peter, I welcome you to Winning Ponies. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, give us a little background. What uh, what, what is your involvement uh, in, in thoroughbred racing, or did you just approach this uh, as a, a good subject and uh, you're a good journalist? Uh, I did graduate with a journalism degree, but uh, ever since the age of eight, I've been following horse racing, uh, especially the, the Triple Crown races, because in Atlanta, that's pretty much all you get uh, with with horse racing. So I followed that very closely. Uh, Spectacular Bid was, of course, one of my favorites. Um, I usually, at that age, picked the horses with the best name, and uh, Spectacular Bid, I thought, had a great name, and uh, he took the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness with with ease, uh, and then disappointed me greatly in the Belmont, um, and, uh, you know, I didn't really know what what happened to him after that, and I just went on... watching the the horse races each year after year and and finally i when i was starting to write books and research horse racing i said let's see what actually happened to spectacular bit and i uncovered quite a bit uh, as, as to what happened during his career well, and uh, th- that's some of the things I want to talk to you about. I, I, I do see you really did your research, and you're you're excellent at uh, at crediting uh, the. Uh, the, the sources where, where you got your information as good writers should. Uh, so, but a lot of work was put in this book, but it's certainly not a boring uh, statistical uh, uh, bit of writing, uh, but you do give all the, the pertinent things. And I, I found it kind of funny that uh, a spectacular bid was actually born in a mud puddle. Yes. Um, you know, most horses, uh, mares give birth uh, in the early, early hours of the morning. Uh, but uh, spectacular, spectacular bids. Uh, Dan uh, was actually out in the paddock uh, about eight thirty in the morning. Felt the pains of the labor come on, and um, had spectacular bid right at the bottom of the hill. It's just been raining, and uh, he slipped and fell in a mud puddle. And if it weren't for a farm hand who uh, went to go pick him up, uh, we may not have ever seen him race. No, I understand he may have even drowned, and it took a couple guys to pull him out of the mud. Exactly, exactly. So uh, we it took it a, a, an alert bunch of people to, to realize what had happened, and they, they quickly got uh, the horses up to back up to the stables to uh, to take care of, of Spectacular Bit, but uh, it was a close one. Uh, you know, one of my favorite books uh, of all time, and uh, it was um, Seabiscuit, and I, I think what the author did, did there is something that you have uh, uh, duplicated here is that what you do is or what you've done in my opinion you, you give a portrait of the owners and then you give a portrait of the trainer and then you give a portrait of the jockey and then you give a portrait of the horse and from there the story kind of takes off as to how it becomes a tapestry yeah I once I started looking into the story of Spectacular Bid, I, I realized it wasn't just a horse. There was there was a lot of uh, rivalry going on between Maryland and Kentucky and New York. Uh, 
the uh, Meyerhoffs, Bud Delp, and Ronnie Franklin were all from Maryland, and it was very unusual for uh, uh, a group like that to uh, to come in and, and sort of take over uh, the three-year-old season the way they did. Um, and, of course, Bud Delp was, was a character in and of, of himself. Ronnie Franklin, uh, a, a young kid who uh, really felt the pressure of a triple crown weighing on his shoulders and unfortunately um, succumbed to, to all the pressures. Um, and so each, each one of those that you mentioned, they, they really did have their own story and did uh, was, was definitely one of them as well. Well, uh, I, I did uh, spend a while uh, as the publicity director down at the fairgrounds in New Orleans, and I remember I went to one of those best-kept secrets. It was called Bozo's at the time out in Metairie, and a friend of mine's father's uh, was, shall I say, Bozo, um, uh, Glenn Grimion, and uh, he told me, he says, yeah, you know, go on down there. I'll introduce you to the guys, and I'll meet you. I had just gotten into town, and so I walked into Bozo's in the bar, and and I looked down, there's only one guy at the end of the bar, and it was none other than Buddy Delp. Uh, oh. share, share with us some of this. And believe me, it wasn't it wasn't happy hour yet. Um, tell us some of the stories or some of the things you discovered about Buddy Delp, the trainer. Well, he was he always had a, a, a quip ready for the media, and as as Bid's fame grew grew larger, uh, his, his hyperbole grew larger as well. Um, he was well known for, uh, putting, uh, reporters in his place. Um, you know, one reporter asked him a question and he just turned to the reporter and said, you know, I, I don't answer stupid questions. Get out of here. <laughs> um, you know, he was just that type of person and, uh, was fiercely loyal to, to the people that was, that was close to him. But uh, if you got in Bud Delp's way, um, he let you know about it. it. He was an Army person, and, uh, you know, it's always the Army way, and when he got out, it was the Bud Delp way. Yeah, he, 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 was, he was an interesting character, and you display him very well uh, in your book. Again, uh, for everybody who, at the end of the show, we're going to tell them how to get it. It's Spectacular Bid, the last super horse of the 20th century. And I think I told you in an email, I, I was uh, blessed to uh, have been there for his his romp in the bluegrass. It was like there, when they came down the stretch, it's like there wasn't another horse in the field. He was so dominant. And uh, so you paint the picture throughout the Triple Crown, but let's face it, what when you say spectacular bid, the image that pops into everybody's uh, head is, is a safety pin. And uh, they knew about it. They didn't tell. When I say they, I mean all the connections. He called the Meyer offs, said, do you want to scratch? I don't know why he told Ronnie Franklin. I think that might have been a mistake because it seems to me, it, it, as you describe it in your book, uh, it really kind of got into Ronnie Franklin's head. And for, for those listeners that maybe are only 12 or 13 years old that don't know the story, he uh, he's the kind of horse that liked to play with his bandages. And you if you go around a track, you'll see a lot of bandages and you'll see some orange substance at the bottom. And usually uh, grooms or trainers will put a, a, a kind of like a cayenne pepper down there so the horses don't chew on their bandages. And for whatever reason, I guess the pepper didn't get put on that night. He pulled one of the pins off of his bandages and it just landed in the most imperfect 
way and he stepped on it. And when the groom got there at four in the morning, they discovered that he was dead lame and Buddy got there and found the pin, pulled it out. Uh, they treated it with, uh, I guess I'll call it Maryland mud for now. And, uh, but the, he did let the Meyerhoffs know. And then I guess shortly after, every, he, it, it pulled some of the um, pus or infection or whatever out. No, he didn't appear lame prior to the race, but he still gave the Meyerhoffs the option to pull him. They didn't want to. But then he went and he told Ronnie Franklin, and your description of the race, it seemed like Ronnie Franklin spent most of the race worrying about that one foot. Well, yeah, obviously, he's, he's a 19-year-old kid uh, up on the, the most important race of his life and then gets told that uh, his horse might be injured and a, a million things are going through his head. Should, should I go to the front quickly? Should I should I try to save, uh, go back and stalk a little bit and, and, and go in later? And, uh, you know, once Ronnie got on bid and went around the first turn, he discovered that, that spectacular bid was not changing leads. And he knew he was in trouble. He tried everything he could to, to get him to change leads. And and those who are deeply involved in horse racing know that, uh, you know, if you don't change leads a lot, it's kind of like carrying a suitcase uh, with one hand around the airport the entire time. You've got to let up and, and, and change around a little bit. So Ronnie did something that only he could explain, and he took a uh, spectacular bid up to the front way too quickly, way too early, and uh, took a, a big lead. And, uh, you know, we'll never know whether or not it was the, it was the safety pin that caused it or whether it was Ronnie going to the front early. But uh, um, Coastal passed him on the rail, um, entering the home stretch, and uh, Golden Act passed him, and he, he actually finished third, which was extremely disappointing for the Meyerhoff and for, for Delp as well. And uh, also there was, you know, he was the Maryland guy. They were the New Yorkers, and... Uh, uh, there was certainly no love lost between him and Angel Cordero. Oh, absolutely. And, so, and one theory had, uh, I think uh, Cordero at the time was on General Assembly, and uh, Ronnie Franklin, uh, the one theory goes, was just went to the front to try to get away from Angel Cordero. They had a, um, a, a pretty bad mix-up um, really days before the Belmont and almost risked suspension, so Franklin could have been actually taken off the horse but they were just fined for fighting and uh and it goes back all the way to the florida derby when when they were riding in in that race but uh certainly a a bitter feud between those two and it it may or may not have uh, you know had something to do with with the race and the way it turned out well he can be intimidating and quite frankly uh you know, there's always going to be people pointing fingers, and uh, yeah, I was really proud of Andy Byer uh, as one of the guys that you know came to his, uh, you know, behalf and saying, I don't think it was the ride. I think there were some other things that were there. And meanwhile, there was certainly more than a few writers that were happy to bash uh, Ronnie Franklin. And quite frankly, I think psychologically, the kid was never the same. No, he wasn't, and and several weeks later, he was arrested in a Disneyland parking lot with uh, with cocaine, and that's really the the point where the Meyerhoffs and Bud Dell got together and said, "Hey, look, we've got to make a change here," and that's when they went to the great Bill Shoemaker um, for Bits Jockey and uh, the rest of his rides throughout his four year old campaign. Well, uh, people forget about 
the rest of Bid's campaign. And, Absolutely. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you start going there. It's like, let's put that behind us. And in the same year, you know, warms up with, you know, an allowance race and then comes out. And the Marlboro Cup back then was one of the biggest uh, uh, races. And he certainly proved himself that he was every bit as good as horses that beat him that day. Uh, in in the Marlboro Gold Cup, grade one, uh, the bid won it. General Assembly ran second. Coastal uh, ran third. And then he decided to take on the big boys. And I was there. <laughs> there, uh, when Affirm tried to take on uh, Seattle Slough, and I was a big Affirm fan, of course I love Slough, and he couldn't do it, you know, and now Spectacular Bid tried to take on Triple Crown winner Affirmed in the Jockey Club Gold Cup, and he couldn't do it. I, I think that just gives... Uh, you know, credence to it's a big difference between three and four. It's a high school kid playing against a college guy. And uh, after, after that bid, you know, he reeled off the grade two Meadowlands Cup, uh, the Malibu Stakes, the the fan, uh, San Fernando, the Strood, the Santa Anita Handicap, Mervyn Leroy, the California Stakes, the Washington Park Handicap, the Haskell Handicap, and ta-da, the grade one Woodward Stakes. People kind of forget that about bid. They just remember that safety pen exactly yeah and uh um so much happened i mean he, he was out three months uh, because of the injury at the uh, before the belmont stake so you know those who, who believe that there wasn't a safety pin something actually happened but like you said he came back uh bill shoemaker got on him and after a, a disappointing loss to affirmed um he reeled off 10 races in a row and went unbeaten as a four-year-old um, the Stroop Stakes, 157 four-fifths for one and a quarter miles, still a world record on dirt. And, of course, the Woodward Stakes that you mentioned where no one faced him. He went alone and uh, won in in a walkover, the, the first one since Coal Town in 1949. And uh don't believe there's been one in a, in a stakes since then. So it's, 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 it's the ultimate honor, really, that you can give to a horse. Well, um, you know, I... All of us had, at that time, a lot of high expectations for him as a stallion, but he never was able to apply his ability on the racetrack to many of his offspring. Yeah, and that's what makes him, I think, so special. Uh, His mother, Spectacular, was a winner at county fairs, won only um, a handful of races. Of course, his, his father was Bull Bitter, which was... Um, a, a great stallion, but um, you know, not much was expected of him, and, uh, and you know, he was sold as a yearling for only thirty-seven thousand um, dollars, and then came out of nowhere and won twenty-six out of thirty races, uh, and was syndicated for a lot of money. And people expected big things from him, but you know, one person told me that it was it was really like lightning in a bottle, where you had one horse at one particular time, where all the genes just seemed to click. And you couldn't really repeat that, um, you know, time after time in, in the breeding shed. And it just shows that, that he was a spectacular horse. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's funny, over the years when I saw him, he was, you know, a dark steel gray, you know, uh, uh, three-year-old. And then when you see the horse's uh, uh, photos as they uh, as he grew older, how, you know, he turned uh, definitely roan and uh 
you know, almost white towards the end of his career. But uh, still, all the, you know, uh, Barbara Livingston did a great job chronicling his life since uh, he, he ended up standing in New York, and that's her home base, uh, to see him evolve over the years into this beautiful uh, white stallion. Well, uh, uh, Peter Lee, it, it's a it's a great read. And like I said, you kind of broke it up in segments where people can learn about the owner, the trainer, the jockey, the horse, and then his career. Um, I, You know, they're already uh, putting out the pumpkin spice uh, latte, so it's not too early to start <laughs> start pumping uh, Christmas books. And so I want you to tell our listeners where they go to get Spectacular Bid, the last super horse of the 20th century. Well, you can buy it at several places. Of course, Amazon and Barnes & Noble are, are two major retailers uh, which carry the book. You can talk to your local bookstore. Um, they can get it as well, and you can buy it through the University Press of Kentucky. Peter Lee, are there going to be any book signings? What do you got going? Get, get, get your publicity people rolling for you here, baby. I, I will be in Maryland uh, next week at a barbecue and at a, uh, be giving a... Uh, the presentation at a library. I'll be at the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame um, October 12th, I believe. And um, we'll be at uh, uh, Keeneland for a lecture um, December 3rd. So um, I'll, be, I'll be visiting some places. Oh, good. Well, I might swing down there to, uh, to, to Keeneland and get you to autograph my copy of the book, Peter. Peter Lee. Spectacular Bid, The Last Super Horse of the 20th Century is his book, and uh, it's a, a pleasure meeting you on air, and I hope to meet you in person someday. I hope so. It was great talking to you. Thank you. All right. That was Peter Lee. We're going to take a quick break to uh, pay some bills, and when we come back, I'm going to talk to my good friend, Frank Angst, uh, not only about the racing at Parks, but about a recent story he penned in The Blood Horse in Justify Case, a rarely used regulatory approach. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Well, Peter Lee from uh, Spectacular Bids uh, book was a first-time starter, and now we've got a guy that's been in the gate at Winning Ponies many, many times because I enjoy having him on, and he's extremely talented. From the Blood Horse, Frank Angst. Frank, how have you been? Pretty good. How are you doing, John? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, I just... uh, you know, I'm going to share with you a little bit of story I led at the top of the show with. It's like I've met a lot of people, you know, just as probably you have, you know, people in your neighborhood that know you say, oh, yeah, Frank, he's involved with horses. He knows. And so people come out, hey, John, how about this justify thing? I mean, should, what's going right. on? Should, 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 he, should he have won the Triple Crown? What's going on? I said, well, th- did you read the next day's paper? And they all just give me silence. I go, no. I said, oh, 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 you know why? Because the media didn't publish the retort. The media didn't publish uh, Bob Baffert's uh, reply. The media didn't publish that uh, this may have been uh, the California Horse Racing Board. All they wanted to read about is the fact that here we go at racing. There they wanted to see a Triple Crown winner, so they let this horse run, even though he should have. Again, they push under the table the fact that he tested totally clean for all three Triple Crown races. And so it just kills me, Frank. Uh, people love punching us, but they don't. They, they, they don't follow the whole fight, you know, and find out that our hand was raised in, in the 12th round. Um, you know, it's very frustrating to me that uh, the media just puts out this stuff. And I'm not talking about the blood horse or anybody. I'm talking about right. the, the New York Times and uh, all of the, you know, the Internet people that love to just jump on us, uh, hoping that we're down. And uh and they don't follow up with the full story. I mean, let's face it. If they ruled that Baffert couldn't run in the Derby, he wouldn't have run in the Derby. But until somebody tells me I can't start my horse in the Derby, you can bet I'm starting him in the Derby if he's that good. And uh, yeah. and, and so and anyhow, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you, Frank. You, you're, you've done more research on this than me. But, I mean, um, was this an overreaction by the media without doing their homework? I mean, not sure. I mean, there are definitely things brought up in the New York Times story that I, that I have concerns about and still have concerns about. They were way out in front that this occurred. Um, but there's, I can also understand uh, why the California Horse Racing Board acted acted the way it did. Although there's still things I would like, I would like some more information before making a final judgment. Uh, the New York Times was the one that had that went out there and got a lot of documents through freedom of information act. Well, that takes time. So I don't have all those, but, but what I did have was an opportunity to, to talk with the people at the CHRB. Um, and what they said is kind of, is very much in line with what the industry has been trying to do the last few years is make concessions for contamination. 
Correct. Tell our audience a little bit more about that. I, I, I mentioned at the beginning, but this is something that is that that happens in California. I won't say with regularity, but it, it, it is a fact that sometimes the straw and the hay gets contaminated by uh, Jimson weed, of which they're the, the main product of that is the scopolamine, if I've ever said that correctly. Yeah, um, yeah the, uh, it's been a problem for some time up there that Jimson weed can get mixed in with the feed or the hay. Um, and then when horses eat it, they can test positive for this scopolamine substance. Um, what the CHRB put in place, essentially, which a lot of people don't understand, and I'm not saying, like, it can be argued that this is not the policy that should be in place, but this is the policy they have in place. So I'm not advocating it. I'm trying to let our readers understand what, why this went the way it did. And basically what they've put in place is you have a lab that does a study. Um, you know, they, what, we, what we would call a drug test. They do a drug test. And then the next step in California where they have an equine medical director named Rick Arthur, he then reviews the whole, the whole test. So before he makes a call of whether it's a positive. So in reviewing the test for Justify after the Santa Anita Derby, he did put test positive for scopolamine at a high level too, um, relatively high compared to some other horses, I should say. Um, and at any rate, so he saw that. So initially you would think, oh, this needs to be a positive and investigated. But under the CHRB's um, setup, Rick, before a positive is called, looks at the whole picture and what he based his decision on, and again, like I said, because he's been called out and the CHRB has been called out, there's still probably story to come. But what he's saying is um, his year, I mean, he has decades of experience. What he was seeing was other factors, and those other factors being the scopolamine in blood level was not nearly as high as the urine level. Second, and the other factor that he saw was that there were six, five other horses, so a total of six, that showed some level of scopolamine, including one that was one other one that was over a threshold. And what a threshold is, is they put a number in place uh, where they immediately say that's very likely contamination, a number being a testing number. Uh, so if horses are below that, they don't even look twice at it. Well, there are two horses that they did look twice. But it's telling that there were six because it wasn't just Justify. Because you would expect if there was a bad batch of feed, there wouldn't be just one horse that he ate it. So that's his logic on that. Again, um, other people can have other opinions, but that's how he approached it. And then to me, what was his biggest, the biggest deciding factor for him is he said that scopolamine and aprophene were both found and justifies positive. And his, he says that if justify was administered a, a pharmaceutical, not pharmaceutical might not be the right word, but yeah, it's a, it's a drug, a manufactured drug. If he was administered that, he would test positive for one or the other because the drug that is used in horses as a treatment is based on either scopolamine or atrophine, uh, but not both. Where you will find both is in Jimson weed. 
So based on all of that, he never called a positive. So, I mean, one, one thing that I've tried to compare it to is if a lab looks at something, they make a decision one way or another. They say this is a positive or not a positive. No one would ever hear of that. Um, but the fact that it went to the equine medical director in California, there was some amount of record on it, and um, the horse was over uh, the limit. Uh, but because of those r- other factors, he thinks it was very much contamination, and that's the decision that he made. Um, my, my concerns that I'm still looking at, quite frankly, are the high level. Um, it was 300 nanograms, which sounds it's it's still. <laughs> Everything's relative, but a few years ago, they had five or six positives for this, and at that time, there was little recognition of contamination, and it was pursued a long way, and ultimately, the trainers were not fined, but horses were disqualified, and on all those levels, they were well below 300. I believe the highest one was 47, but nothing over 100, I'm sure of that, um, So, but that was a different era. Um, Horsemen's groups have really been out there encouraging the people that regulate the sport to consider contamination. Uh, we had a case of Kentucky Downs a few years ago, and that went forward with an investigation, and it went forward with some level of consider the, of the racing commission, and they made a decision that it was contamination, and they were largely applauded for it. Um, so, it does, in the California Horse Horse Racing Board case, it was made before there was ever any investigation. Um, It's the setup they have that gives me a little bit of pause. Um, It puts a lot of power in one person's hands, and one person's hands is set up. That probably should be looked at. Um, Decisions were made once once he made his determination, he and Executive Director Rick Bedeker. So it was two people, but I, I would I would say that Rick Arthur was probably, I mean, he's the one that has expertise. So he, Rick Arthur and Rick Bedeker, went to the racing board and told them their thoughts and made the recommendation that they do not call a positive. And the board uh, unanimously approved of that recommendation. All of that was done in executive session, which means it was not done before the public, which certainly is a concern. Um, I understand the C- I understand the CHRB's idea on it is in these days, it's very much uh, a horseman is guilty till proven innocent. So if <laughs> if in public uh, record they say this this horse came back with a positive, and even if they say we think it's a contamination, but there was a positive, a, a certain amount of people's reputation is going to be harmed. Uh, so I believe that's why they put the protocol that they've put in place. That's what they, the reasoning they said that they've done. Um, it probably deserves to be looked at. Is this the best way to do things? Do we not want to make this, these types of results public at all? Uh, arguments can be made on both sides. Well, Frank, uh, just real quick, because I do want to get your input on some of the parks races this weekend. Um, sure. isn't, isn't scopolamine something that you wouldn't want to treat your horse with i understand it'd be something that would not be a performance enhancing uh i'll call it a drug for now but that's not the right word right rick sands is quoted in the new york times story and i have a lot of respect for quit for rick 
Um, we have a lot of ricks in this story, don't we? Anyway, <laughs> uh, he says at 300, it can have some level of performance enhancing effect. I haven't been able to get a hold of Rick, um, but I, I give some consideration to that. Um, but no, it's not, quite frankly, it would not be, it would not be that your first choice. <laughs> if you were looking to, to get a boost or, or cheat, I don't think it would be your first choice. Um, I guess what, what, I mean, what the first thing I was looking at was, was this some type of administration that would get the horse on the track? Not so much a boost in, um, any type of boost on performance, but I mean, quite frankly, one, one fact about the case is that horse needed to run in that race. He yes. had no points to qualify for the Kentucky Derby. So I'm not saying that this makes him guilty or anything like that, but it was one of the first things that I was looking at that raised my eyebrows was I'm not sure there's ever been a horse that needed to run in a specific race more than that horse needed to run in the Santa Anita Derby. So that, that, that gave me, as a reporter, that at least had me curious. Um, I haven't found any evidence that that's occurred. I'm still looking at the full case, but uh, I thought the... CHRB at least made a, uh, I, I think they at least put their reasoning out there and their protocol out there and, and how they did things. Um, I, I think that because so much was done behind closed doors, I think that still needs to be looked at. Um, I reserve some amount of judgment, but uh, I think at least to me, what they are saying, it does make sense. And it's been a direction that the industry has been going for the last few years. All right, Frank, let's put your handicapping hat on. Uh, big uh, changes in the Pennsylvania Derby where the favorite maximum security, I'm glad they caught it in time, but he had a pretty serious case of colic from everything. I'm not a veterinarian, yeah. but from what I've read in the industry news, uh, they caught this thing just in time. It's not going to be career-ending, but maximum security out of Parks's. Pennsylvania Derby, grade one million dollars. We're down to half a dozen. It looks like improbable. A Bob Baffert trainee. Hopefully they've watched his feed this week. Uh, we'll ship in from Delmar. Uh, it will inherit uh, favoritism. You've got the Preakness winner, gorgeous physical specimen, War of Will there, and a horse that I can't hang my heart on, Mr. Money, who's just been grinding it out, going for his fifth consecutive graded stakes race, but he's stepping up from grade three races to grade one. I'm painting the picture. You tell me your story. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Money, you have to admire a horse like that, That's just that consistency, and he's put together a nice run and now he's stepping up to grade one. Um, I'm going to kind of just go back to one of my opinions from early in the year as I, I thought pretty highly of improbable. Um, and I think he's back in top form here and I, I, I like his running style for this track. I know in this last race, he was kind of competing for the lead, but I think he's naturally a little bit more just slightly off the pace. Um, yeah. And I like that at parks. I, my, I mean, not that I'm betting parks every day, but the times I've looked at it, it sure looks very difficult to go gate to wire at that track, which is there's, there's few tracks like, left like that anymore. I think it and Prairie Meadows are the two two tracks where you got a chance as a closer. 
Um, so I'd, I look for improbable to be just a little bit off the pace and make a run and and win this. Um, I mean, uh, improbable. A war of will looks like he's back in top form, and Mister Money certainly is in top form. So you have you have three horses for sure, and spun around. You have, you have horses going into this race in top form, so it should be a competitive race. Well, it's, speaking of competitive races. The Cotillion, million dollars, grade one, man. Let's see, uh, Sarah Gentry, Empress, uh, you know, Bellafina, Jaywalk, and the, we just don't know how high this horse can go, Garana, uh, will all match yeah. strides. A, a great rematch between Garana and the, a, the Acorn winner, Sarah Gentry, Empress, who also won the Kentucky Oaks. Man, this is a, Deep, deep race. Uh, I, I think you got to come up with your trifecta plan in here. <laughs> I'll tell you what. The, this this is where I'm going to put my opinion of that surface. This is where I'm going to put my money on that opinion. This late race is just loaded with front end speed, and this is not a track where somebody survives the duel and goes on to win. I, I think they're all going. I think they're all going to be compromised, and I really like Street Band here. I think that's silly. Yeah, she comes out of Alabama at a mile and a quarter, cuts back to a mile and a sixteenth, where she's two for three. I really think if she runs a race similar to the Indiana Oaks, where she rates fourth or fifth early and makes that big run late, um, I really, I'm really liking this horse this week. I mean, she, she was running at fairgrounds where a lot of the big fillies were this year. Uh, she's run she's run with this level and has won her share. And I think this race sets up for her. So it's a talented filly. The, these closer types, they don't always get to their run. You know? Sometimes they're in a the field with somebody's loose on the lead and they close for second. Or, you know, sometimes it's a short field, so that makes it hard to have much of a pace to run at. Here she's going to get her pace, and she—it's not like she hangs. She, she wins her fair share for sure. So I, I really like how this sets up for her. I love it. Eight to one, and one of my favorite jocks, Sophie Doyle, uh, who uh, the, this is going to make a great story about how she is stuck with this horse. She drives down from Chicago to work the horse out at Churchill Downs whenever it needs to work uh, for Larry Jones. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's it's super, and I would love to see Street Band upset some of those uh, you know big horses we're talking about, including last year's Eclipse Award winner, Jaywalk. Well, they're telling me I got a minute left real quick. Did you take a look at the gallop, Bob? I did, and I was looking off the pace again in that one. I'm operating off my computer tonight, John, so let me call that up. But um, I, I was like that now the, you could get a little bit wild in this one. The, the two inside horses, War Toxin and who am I forgetting there, John? Uh, War Bridal. War Bridal. The two were very long shots. I'm not brave enough to play them to win, but... I would maybe put them underneath in some exacta trifecta type plays because, again, this race is loaded with speed, and I think it might be a question of who rates the best um, between the six and the seven, which well, the seven is favored, King Jack. But Landeskog, I think, uh, is probably more apt to rate just a little bit. Um, and it, it's hot connections, Doug O'Neill and uh, the jockey Cedillo. And Eric Johnson, the hockey player from the Colorado Avalanche, he owns a part of this horse. 
they won uh, with Lazy Daisy last weekend at Churchill. So you got that angle. They're they're shipping east again, uh, trying to to land another race. So I think that's a horse again. I'm, that's I'm being consistent this week. I'm looking for some horses that can come off the pace on this surface, and those are the three I like. Uh, the the Derby I don't see as much early speed, but in the sprint and the cotillion, I see a lot of early speed. All and, right. Well, and if Frank, I'm wrong, Frank, they're telling me I wrong. gotta wind up here. I wanna thank Frank Anks for being with us and also author Peter Lee. I'm John Engelhart. You've been listening to Winning Ponies. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.